Hello, this is David Sangster, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. All right, week five. This is the last week of the Invisible Enemy series. And we've been talking about fear for the last four weeks. We're uh, going to kind of steer a little bit away from fear, but not really. My, my, my comments here today are more to help us to understand how we ought to live in this current time. Okay, what does a current time mean? It means whatever time you're currently in. So we live in a very kind of not-so-current time right now. When we got an election coming up and things are happening and, and there's a lot of angst and frustration and all that. So that's our current time. But next week, Lord willing, it'll be another current time. And the next week after that, it'll be another. I want you to learn how to live today in the current, in the moment, according to God's plan for you. How do you know what God's plan is for me? Because I know what God's plan is for us. I don't know if he wants you, you know, doing somebody's taxes or flipping burgers. I don't know that. But I do know that there are certain things that God has planned for you and how he wants us to live in the current time. The big idea for this message is this. We should live wisely and responsibly in the present while waiting for the future with hope. With hope. Not, all hope is not lost, folks. Actually, all hope is still on the horizon. But it's where we put our thoughts on what, where our hope lies is what let us down so often. Have you seen these two turkeys running for president? <laughs> you probably picked one. I don't know. I have. There's only one turkey? Not that. Okay, Dad. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, honestly, folks, we can't put our hope in people. We can't. People let us down. Even our most, you know, prized politicians in the past years have done what politicians do. Right? So we, we work towards a goal of, of uh, using the time that we have to line up with this, and that may, hopefully, this word will influence your political decisions. Hopefully, this, the, the concepts and, and the truths in this word will convict you in, in the way you live, in the way you vote, in the way you raise your children, all these important things. But our hope is in what's in this word, not the things and the systems and the peoples and the governments of this world that's not in that. It's in this, and we try to make those things match what's in here. Okay? So we have differences of, of opinion. Welcome to the human race. I'm going to give you a little insight in what the church was like in the first century. Many of us would not like it. You know what it was? You come to a home or a, a gathering place, and people would open up 
not the New Testament because it was being written. They would open up the Old Testament, and maybe they'd have a letter from an apostle. Whoa, a letter from an apostle would be awesome. You would read that thing front and back, back and front, and you'd probably read it a few times on a, on a, on a day that you met. And what you would do? Then you would argue. You're like, no, that's not what you're... Oh, yeah. That's what they did. They would, they, would, they would present something, they would speak, and then they would debate what's being said. That is the Jewish model of church, synagogue. The person would come up, and then they would discuss. They would call it discuss. Have you ever been to a Jewish home? Well, it's like an Italian home, right? It's, it's, you know, people, their hands are going all over the place. You know? So the idea is that their discussions look much like what happens over the dinner table at our houses, right? That's what the early church was like. It was this using, taking what they had from the Word of God and saying, how does this apply to me? And you had an opinion and I had an opinion and we would talk about it. That's what the early church was like. It was very different. It's much more like a small group, like a life group where you're bringing out information in somebody's home and everybody's kind of you know, ping-ponging the ideas back and forth. It's much more like a life group. It has morphed and changed over 2,000 years, which it probably is, and I shouldn't be surprised, that's 2,000 years. Things are going to change. All right. So this is what's happening in the church in Thessalonica. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter... Oh, look at that. On the snap of the finger. Good job, Pat. For 2 Thessalonians 3, okay? 6 through 13. This is what's happening when they're gathering... They're having debates, they're having conversations, they're having talks about things. And Paul weighs in because he's heard some things that are not so great about what the, the Thessalonian church is doing and some things that they are doing well. So he goes, I'm going to write them a letter. That's how we got our New Testament. Paul and the apostles said, hey, I heard about this. I want to address that. You're doing great on this, not so great on this. And that's how we got our New Testament. Interesting, right? It wasn't just like God didn't just drop it down in leather-backed form. Boom. Oh, whoa. We should do this. You know, it wasn't on golden tablets. <laughs> it, was, it was the apostles addressing issues. And the issues, like we're going to see in um, Ecclesiastes later on today, are the same issues we've always struggled with because we're human. And that's why the Word of God is so powerful. An ancient text can affect our day to day. That's what gets me excited about the Word of God. That's what gets me excited about it. So, first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Let's go there. And we're going to read through 13. And here we go. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the traditions that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we, uh, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. It was not because, you, um, not because we do not have the right but to give you an overall, uh, ourselves an example 
to imitate. Folks, that's hard. On a day where you did a pastor appreciation thing, I'm just going to be honest with you, that's hard. Saying, putting yourself up here and saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, it's not easy. It takes every bit of your prayers, personal discipline in the word of God to be able to say that, and I still fail. And Paul said the same thing. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. It's hard. That's why the Bible says, not many of you should be teachers. That's what it says. And then he goes on to say how much the teacher is going to be judged, and I start sweating. Well, I sweat all the time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But the idea behind this is that we, we are supposed to be able to, to, to tell somebody that is not inside the faith, that is outside of the faith, that has not put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We should be able to say something along these lines. Listen, I'm not perfect, but if you want to know what it looks like to follow Christ, you can imitate me. Whoa. Everybody says, I do not want to be a pastor. You are. You are. You're not a pastor on the pulpit. You are a believer. You are the message of Jesus Christ to somebody else. And how we live our lives makes all the difference. That's why I say don't be idle. Separate yourselves from those people who, who say they are Christians but don't live it out. Don't be like them. Be like us. That's what Paul's saying. And I'm sure Paul, when he was, you know, Writing or dictating that was going, oh, be like me. Now I got to do it, right? Now we have to do it. We have to be an example of the believer in word, in conversation, how we live our lives, how we raise our kids, how we, our work ethic, the things we stand up for, the things we stand against. All right, where was I? Somebody help me out here. 10. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is willing to work, let him not, uh, excuse me, if anyone is not, this is tough, anyone not willing to work, don't let him eat. I'm telling you, I, this, is, this, is, this is old school, but I think it's very important. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, I can't imagine Paul was like somebody who was like handicapped or something like, you didn't work. Nope, no food for you. No soup for you. I don't think that's what he was saying. But what he's referring to is these idle people who are just, um, are just milking the community. Now, if you understand, the early church was much more of a, um, I don't want to relate it to any cultic type practices, but it was more communal. They would, they, would take, uh, they would have these concepts of, of getting resources together and the whole community would, would benefit from that. But what they wanted is they wanted people to work, not just people to be um, manipulating the system. We, we see that even in our current political age. All right? Um, verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Whoa, wow. 
He visited some American churches. <laughs> now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. So some of the members of the congregation in Thessalonica had inferred that since the coming of Jesus Christ was imminent, there was no point in continuing to work. They had this concept that because Jesus was coming back uh, suddenly, they confused imminent with suddenly, and they said, you know, he's coming back maybe like next week, so I'm, not, I'm just going to take an extended vacation. And that was their concept. And Paul's like, no, 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 get to work. Do something. Contribute. Um, he tells them not to live at the expense of others, but get back to work. The Thessalonians were apparently confused, confusing the uh, suddenness of the Lord's coming with its imminence. Christians have to learn to live in necessary tension between the great hope of the church and the everyday. There's this tension. We keep our eyes on the prize, but we live in the, the, the days that we were given. All right, we are citizens of heaven, yet we live on earth. There's a tension there. We are ready for the anticipation of, and anticipate Christ's return, yet we also work, eat, sleep, play, have families, break collarbones. Right, Lincoln? Right? It happens. We live life. Live. We, 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 we function in this world. Though our great hope is eternal. The tension requires balance. We have to live daily life's, uh, lives wisely in the present while working for the future with hope. All right, I want you to play that video and you'll get the idea of tension. I find a couple of people are about to throw up over here. Jeez, vertigo is kicking in. People are like, do you think I'd show you a video where a guy fell? I mean, come on. I want you to think about that tension, though, all right? Too far to the right, 700 feet down. Too far to the left, 700 feet down. There's a tension there. There's, there's a, people are, like, freaking out. Relax. We're taking a deep breath. Oh, stressed you out. Think of that rope as our narrow path. Very narrow, right? Narrow path. Matthew 7, 14 says, because, uh, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. I love how when he got to the end, he kissed the ground. When he fell, there would be a different type of kissing, the ground. Uh, but uh, he kissed the ground, and he was able to walk away from it. I think that's what's going to happen to us when we get to heaven, honestly. I think so. Some people say things like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a few questions for God. No, you're not. No, you're not. Are you kidding me? Have you read this Bible? When people were presented with the holiness of God, they were on their faces. They were saying, please don't undo me. Because they couldn't think of any other way to say it. That their creation would just be eviscerated because of the holiness of God. I think we're going to be a face in the ground. I think it's going to be, thank God we made it across the line. There was pitfalls all around. Thank you, Jesus. Because this is what it is. Um... The balancing bar that that guy was holding, think of it like this. 
The Word of God is that balancing bar. It keeps us on the straight and narrow. You see that? It keeps us on the straight and narrow. Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Psalms 119 says this. The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I think it would be more impressive as he did that in the dark. Come on, man. Can you up your game, please? <laughs> Slacker. No. Uh, Psalms 37 says this. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I love the fact that he said, thank you, Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. All right? And you will fall into, uh, excuse me, make your, and he will make your paths straight. You will fall. That's not what I said, no. Live too much in the now, and you will fall into materialism and hedonism. And we see that even in the church, folks. I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about people who are, who are walking that narrow path, but they've leaned too far into the world, and they find themselves tripping into that pitfall. Lean too far to, in the separation from the world, and I'll get into that in a second, separation from the world, and you will fall into isolationism and legalism. Now, the, the Bible says to be holy. It means the word holy is a very, you know, religious word for the, just meaning separate. It means separate, set apart. That's what holy means. That's all, that's all it means. It has all these uh, spiritual implications, but that's what it means. To be holy means to be set apart for God. So there is this, this, this concept that we want to we be holy, but we are living in this world. We are in the world but not of it. We live in the world in light of our eternal destiny. It's like walking a tightrope. So we got to be careful that we don't fall into these different pitfalls. We keep a good balance. See, one of my biggest concerns about the church is that we become isolationists and legalists where we can't, I want to be a church that lives outside the four walls of the building, <laughs> outside the four walls of the mall. How many walls in this place? Uh, and I think we're obviously trying to do that, right? But one of the problems is that the church ends up becoming a silo of righteousness and everybody's in there and we're judging everybody else. That's not what the apostles did. The apostles went out into the world. They went out into the world, but they were not of the world. They were able to keep a really good balance. And that's what we ought to strive for. Ephesians 5.15 says this, Look carefully that you and how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This was 2,000 years ago. We're like, oh, I could see that. Why? Because it's life. It's a it's sinful world we live in. It's not going to change until Christ comes back and does away with all that stuff. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. 
and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. I saw you guys doing that this morning while Winslow was pumping those pipes. I saw you making music, enjoying God's presence, worshiping Him. That's what we ought to be doing. That's what we're created for. Giving thanks always and for everything in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for everything. Whoa. You can just read right past that, or you can actually pay attention. Giving thanks always. Whoa, wait a minute. The person who wrote this must not have known my circumstances right now. They obviously didn't see COVID coming. Right? Because if they did, they would not be thankful. Always. And then it goes even further. In everything. Everything? Everything? But you don't know, Pastor, what my history holds. You don't know what I'm struggling with in my home and in my work. You don't understand. You're probably right. Thank God that being a pastor doesn't include having to know everything about everything. I just need to know this. But I'm not going to just say, hey, deal with it. My job as a pastor is to open this thing up for you and say, what do you go, what's the everything that you're dealing with now? What's the everything in your life right now? Let's find a way we can apply the, the timeless, holy word of God to your everything so that you can give thanks in that, in that circumstance. I'm sure Richard wasn't real excited about getting hit the other day in his car. I'm sure, I'm sure he wasn't excited to lose a car and potentially get hurt. Right, Richard? You weren't like, woohoo, praise the Lord. I'm sure that wasn't like the first response, right? Come on, if it is, you're a better pastor than I am. Anyway. That's not, our, that's not the natural response. You have your life. You didn't get that hurt. You're walking around, right? Praise the Lord. You're breathing, breathing air. You're with your family, your kids. That could have been so much worse. And I'm sure there's other things that will come out of that accident. If you have the proper perspective and you use the word of God, you will be able to find things. You can say, it may be even just a, a thread of something. I can be thankful about that. I'm just I'm picking on Richard. I'm sorry, man. But I'm sure we've all gone through those types of situations, unplanned, unscheduled, unbeknownst to us, the little things around the corner that we didn't see coming. I had plans for my, my retirement. My wife and I were going to do this, this, and that. And now I'm going through a divorce, or my spouse is sick, or, you know, I had, pl- I had plans. Many of the plans of a man's heart, the Lord's purpose will prevail if we let him speak into our lives. As Christians, we must place our hope in Christ while also making the most of our time because the days are evil. 
We must live like Christ could return at any moment while also using the time we were given and seeing each other each moment as a gift that can be used to glorify God. Every moment we get should be a, is a gift. We should use it to glorify God and increase the kingdom. There's a popular axiom that is used in Christian culture that, uh, that combats the idea of isolationism and legalism. One I've even used myself in a sermon from time to time, but it says this. You are so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. It means you have your focus too far, too far ahead and you're not focusing on that. And I understand that statement. I've even used that axiom. But I'm going to kind of destroy that axiom for a second. I've used it. It has its place. I understand what the author of the axiom is trying to, to say. We need to be engaged in the world around us. Use every moment as a gift from God. But if we are looking carefully how we walk, as the Scripture says, and we are keeping our eyes on the prize, heaven, then it is, is it possible to be too heavenly-minded? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. I'm going to read the whole quote. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. The ones who did most for this present world were the ones who thought most about the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelists who abolished the slave trade and left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. I'll read the quote, finish the quote first. I can get into it. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the, of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. See, we need to allow our vision of heaven. I want to say this. Frame how we live this life. If we believe, if we really believe this stuff, I'll just say stuff, if we really believe this, it should completely transform how we live this life. We should be living this life in light of eternity. If we believe in the consequences of hell and the glory of heaven, it should impact how we live this life. Think about it for a second. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus and their ability to um, escape hell, go to heaven? Because it's a reality to you. You know it's coming. You know it's out there. It's real. When is, that, when is the last time that motivated 
you to push past your uncomfortable feelings? When's the last time it motivated you to share the gospel with somebody because you know that if they don't receive Christ, there's going to be consequences like we talked about last week? Why should we live a good, quote-unquote, good life? Why should we do that? If this stuff isn't real, well, let's eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. No, that's not what this book says. This book says, in light of eternity, live a life that is good, being good to people around you, doing moral things. Being moral. Why should I be moral? You know, as long as I don't get to have to deal with the consequences, I'm good. No! The Word of God says, living a moral life, we do this out of our respect and love for God and for other people. We just don't not do something so we don't get caught or have to pay consequences for it. That's a shallow way to live. And guess what? That's going to bite you someday. You're never going to be able to outrun that dog. I don't have to outrun the dog. I just got to outrun the last guy behind me. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. With the... Finish the quote out. It says this. C.S. Lewis ends with this. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Let me read that again. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Ecclesiastes, we're going to go to the teacher now. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says this. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb. What he's saying is this, if we're constantly waiting for heaven to come to us, because that's what the prophecies say, if we're so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good, then we're just going to be isolationist. He said, you can't read those things. You can't know. So this is what his answer is this. Um, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning. And in the evening, let your hand not be idle. He said, while, you're, while it's still called today, work. Sow the seed in the morning and don't be idle in the afternoon. Why? For you do not know which one will succeed. Which one's going to have the most impact? So do all of it. Whether this or that, or they're both, will do equally well. So put your hand to the plow. Work. Don't just wait. If you just wait on the signs of the times, you just wait. It says, no, you don't know the times. You don't. Jesus said, I, the, God knows when he's coming back. He hasn't even told that to me yet. I don't know if Jesus knows that right now, but while he was on earth, he said, even the Son of Man doesn't know. I have a feeling he knows now. But what I, the idea is this, is that he said, you, don't, you can't know that. So while it's still today, in light of what's coming down the road, 
That should keep you from fear. That should keep you from anxiety. That should keep you from all the worry because you know what your destination is. So then while you're here, don't be overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, and, and, and depression and, and, and frustration. While you're here, get to work. Get to work doing the work of the kingdom. Be everything that God has called you to be. The key to do both well, the key is to do both well. According to the teacher, it is not to be idle, but to enjoy one's work and family while remembering God made us for eternity. We are spiritual beings. Our spiritual life is just our life. You know, in this time, we go, how's your spiritual life going? How's your spiritual life? We have this dualistic, this duality of regular life and then our spiritual life. Well, my spiritual life is going great. I get up every morning. I bow at the altar of the coffee maker first. And then I go and I have my quiet time with God. And we read the Bible together and we... T- and we walks with me and he talks with me. It's a glorious morning. And then you get to work and you're a total jerk. So spiritual life is going well. Regular life, not so much. We have this dualistic thing that we can have this great spiritual life, yet we can be immoral people. We have a great spiritual life, yet we can be terrible at work, or we could be terrible with our kids, or we can, we can just live, because we'll go to our spiritual life, and then we'll apologize for those things. Oh, sorry, God. We good now, God? Okay. And he walks with me. I mean, we get into this spiritual zen mode, right? And we're all good. God's forgiven us for the things we did 10 minutes ago, and our lives are miserable, but our spiritual life is proven pretty good. See, the rabbis, the, the ancient rabbis would never have understood that. To the ancient rabbis, there was no such thing as a dualistic existence where we have this life and then we have spiritual life. Life and spiritual life. Spiritual life happens on Sunday morning. I go in and I worship God and I dance around and feel good about myself. This is not a self-help thing, guys. This is not, you know, I'm not a motivational speaker. You can do it. not the point of this stuff. You know, I don't want you to go out and have these all these spiritual, ooh, feel so good. And that not to affect who you are. The word of God, the rabbis understood that everything we do is spiritual. There was, we are spiritual beings. Everything that we do is spiritual. The way we raise our children is a spiritual act. What we do when nobody's around is spiritual. The way we pay our taxes is a spiritual act. Trust me, taxes stink. But the way we handle those things is a spiritual act. Relationships we have. We always want God to bless everything, don't we? God, bless this. Bless me, God. 
But we don't want to do anything. We don't want to be accountable to him in any way, shape, or form. We'll live a moral life and we'll still let God want God to bless us. That's a scary place to live, folks. Everything we, we live our life for Christ or we don't. Where are we? We can't divide this thing up into like two different realities. You know what that's called? That's called, you know, multiple personality disorder. Right? You want, who's, want to know who has the hardest time with that? Pete. No, I'm just kidding, Pete. I, I just wanted to get a reaction out of you. Get up here, Pete, right now. I was going to say this, and it just peeped up to my mind. Uh, the person who has the hardest time with those types of things are pastors. Because they got to look, you know, I don't have a tie anymore, but can I borrow your tie there, Steve? No, just kidding. Uh, you know, you, they hide a lot. We, we, we tend to do that. We tend to do that. I have a harder time with that because I'm such a hard-on-my-sleeve type of guy. But, you know, it's, it's hard for all of us. I'm not saying this is, folks, please, please. I'm not saying this is easy stuff. It's life. Life is never easy. But I want you to get, get away from the concept of we can be a Christian here and here and here and not live out here. No, we need to take it with us, everything in light of our turning, in light of what we believe, in light of the reality of the Word of God in our, in our existence, how do we live this life? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, it is a high wire act. And it's a balance. And much of the New Testament is about being a spotter for somebody. Being a spotter. Now, this guy's had a lot of practice, this guy here. I hope he didn't, like, wake up one morning. He's like, you know what? I think I'm going to walk across the Grand Canyon on a wire. Never done this before. Should be fun. That was the video they took earlier. That guy died early. Um, I mean, I'm telling you right now, that guy didn't get to that proficiency level without walking on a wire. Well, first of all, he probably walked on a, a balancing beam that was wide, and then he brought it down, brought it down. And then as he's walking on these different wires, I guarantee that he's harnessed in or he's working with a net or more likely he had a spotter. Somebody, this is, how, this, is the, this is the proper way to spot somebody. I learned this when my little girl was doing gymnastics. Because I was, I, was, I was standing there waiting for, and they're like, no, no, you're doing it wrong. Is there a wrong way to catch my daughter? I mean, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You got to do it like this. Didn't know there was a gymnastics high beam Bible. But there is, apparently. You do it like this. And this is the proper way to do it, right, guys? Right, guys? She's like, I don't even remember. Uh, but they have spotters so that when, when, when they start, when, when, when that person that, who's on that wire starts to lean to the right, whoa, whoa, spotter comes up, holds them on the wire, helps them get their balance back. And then there's somebody on the other side, whoa, whoa, and they start going that way. And the other guy's, whoa, you're really bad at this. 
Let's get to the balance. Let's get the thicker balance beam out. This guy's not ready for this one. Uh, and they, <laughs> but that's what the church is, folks. That's what the church is. We help each other stay on the straight and narrow path. We help each other. We spot for one another. We care for one another. Because it's not easy. It's called life. And the moment where you start to go off, God will, you know, God, I, God will give you somebody else to spot for you too. That's why he gave us the church. That's why he gave us a church. So that we could, we've talked about it so many times in the last few months, we could spur one another on to faith and good works. We could admonish each other, keep each other on the wire, spot for one another, take care of one another, take the weight off of it for you for a little while until you get your feet back under you. That's what we do. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not about ritual. It's not about ordinance all the time. It's not about doing the, 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 the things like, you know, I, we have to take communion again. We haven't done it in a, a month. But like the taking in the community and the baptisms, those are all wonderful ordinances of, of the church. And I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying those things. But that's not, the, that's not the reason we come to church. We come to church for relationship with God and relationship with others so we can have those support systems ready. Because life on the wire is hard. One day, one day, in light of all that, and one day, one day, you will get across that line. You will get to the other side, and I guarantee you will have your moment of kissing the streets of gold. I made it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, church. I made it. We're here. We did it. We did it. I'm going to tell you right now, I am not getting to heaven because I did it on my own. First off, there's no way to do that. You got to be, it's only through Jesus Christ, right? Only through Christ. The re- receiving the blood, uh, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus, the covering of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, resurrection, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. You can't get to heaven any other way. Let's just put that to rest right now. But I've had spotters all along the way who've kept me on the line. My parents, my siblings, Mentors, teachers, friends, you? Nobody gets to heaven on their own. We can honestly say that. It's first Christ. It has to be Christ first. And then it's through the prayers and support of the church that keep us on the wire. Are you following the analogy today? Don't be afraid. It, it's scary. Don't look down. Don't throw up either. Don't look down, especially when you're wearing a mask. That's gross. Anyway, uh, don't look down. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize. Know that you got spotters on, uh, on your left and your right. Press on towards the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your ever-present presence in our lives. Lord, that you show yourself so powerful in the midst of this difficult life we live. And Lord, we are the body of Christ as the church. And we are supposed to be supporting and helping one another through this life. 
So God, I pray right now for those who are tottering on the wire today, they're struggling. The winds are blowing them left and right and they're feeling very unsure. God, I pray that you would support them. Like you say in your word, in the Psalms, I'm going to find it real quick because it's awesome. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Lord, help us to delight in you. Though he be may may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for spotting for us. Lord, and may we as a church pay for the, the church to be a body that can be your hands in spotting for people as well. Lord, this life is too hard to do on our own. Like the guy on the wire had a headset on. Somebody was talking to him the whole time, guiding him through, giving him the updates on the wind and the, and the, the conditions. Lord, help your Holy Spirit to be living in us. Encourage us to keep us on the wire, to give us updates as to what's happening around us. And Lord, I thank you for our church, all those who are connected to our church. Through, they, through, they, whether it be the ones who are actually in the space today or those who are watching online or those who are connected to our church through family members God I pray that we would be the church that you've called us to be at work in the present time in light of our future hope of heaven and we give you praise and glory and we go out of here invigorated, excited charged up to be the church and calls to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful week. We're starting a new series, uh, teaching series very soon. So come back, sign up. God bless you. Have a great, great week.